You ready to go, church? Okay. We're cultivating the supernatural life of the Holy Spirit into the life of your family. There is no family, spiritually speaking now, not physically speaking. Spiritually speaking, there is no effective family without the life of the Holy Spirit. Spiritually speaking, there are many good families outside of Christ. But if you want a good spiritual family, there is no effective dynamic family without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be revealing truth all the time. Without the Holy Spirit convicting us and shaping us and, and speaking to us, why would any family change? Why would anyone change? There's no reason to change without the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So the life of the Spirit in the family is the most important thing. It's not how well you can, you can just physically love them, though that is a massive, that goes beyond saying Spiritually, now, if you want to raise your children, you must have the life of the Spirit flowing through you. It's the only way to raise a family. So, last week we made a declaration. Your family is designed for accomplishment. It's engineered for success, and it's endowed with the seeds of greatness. That's the declaration as you pray. Just look at me, look at me, not the screen. As you are going into 2017, you pray that over your family. You pray that over your wife's side of the bed, your husband's side of the bed, your children's bed, right? You pray that when they're not in the room. Pray it when they are in the room. If they're receptive, pray it with them. If they're not receptive, pray when they're out the room. Yes? Find a time when they're not in the house and you pray and begin to declare. Declarations are so important. When they're spoken by the Holy Spirit, they are so powerful. But the problem with many Christian families, they do not realize how dull they have become to the Holy Spirit. So it's the family or the person or the individual who's alive to the Holy Spirit can see what's lacking in the family and then realizes that if I don't begin to fill my household with prayer, nothing's going to change. So if I'm going to pray by in the Spirit, I'm going to make declarations by the Spirit. So what is it designed for? It's designed for accomplishment. How many of you believe that? No, let me ask you. No, stop. Let me ask you that again. Don't give me a head yes. Let me ask you that again. How many of you believe that your family is designed for accomplishment? Because you'll never pray if you don't believe it. How many of you believe that you're engineered for success? You are successful. You're successful now. Do you pay your bills? Right, that already elevates you above so many people. Do you treat your family well? That already puts you on a level. Do you, do you have a good reputation? No, not so many now. Okay, those who do have a good reputation, that already elevates you. You're already climbing a mountain that many people have not decided to climb. You are, you are engineered for success. Just because you've not been put in Time magazine or Vogue or whatever ma- magazine you want, which is a pinnacle, that's not success. Success is doing the same thing regular every day and getting good rewards for it. Yes? I believe that my family has got the seeds of greatness. Without that seed in my son and my daughter, I have nothing to call back. When I'm praying, I'm watering that seed that was been implanted. Amen? Now, if we want to change what we've got as a family, then we've got to change what we do as a family. Come on, that's the action. 
So you need to discern this year, what do you need to change? What you've got. Throughout what you've got, what do you need to change? Come on. If there's not enough fun in your family, then you've got to change it. If there's not enough intimacy in your relationship, then you've got to change something to get the intimacy. It's no use just praying. Praying just one thing, one dynamic, but then you need to do something physically on the earth. Yeah? Go for a walk with your wife or your husband. Go for a walk with your children. Do something to replace what's not there or to put there what's not there. Amen? Make a call. Call them more. Come on. Do something. If you want to change what you've got as a family, then you've got to change what you do as a family. It's in the doing that changes what you've got. Yes? The doing changes what you've got. So if you've got a headache, then you need to determine what caused the headache and do something different to reverse it. I believe that. Now, it's our last Sunday before the new year. So we'll start, officially declare, new year is open. Right? It's declared. We're not going to stand and have a vigil like many churches do. Not that it's wrong, not that it's right. It's just something people prefer to do. Right? And they make declarations when the chimes go that they don't keep. So let's not, you know, let's not go for New Year's momentary declarations. Let's go by the spirit declarations. And so it's an opportunity to speak to you about this family and about the family because it's something that God is putting in our hearts and he won't let go until we've see some breakthroughs. So you're going to say, Pastor, when are you going to stop talking about the family? And I'm going to say, when your family changes. Now, do you realize how difficult it is to keep on speaking about one subject? But I'm managing. I'm coming at it from every different, every angle. On my pad, it says part 18. That's not including what Paul's spoken, what Phil's spoken. Why? I can see it being part... It's like Rocky. The Rocky movies. this. It could go on for a long time. Oh, Fast and Furious. We're up to eight now, aren't we? So we're going to, you know, keep on speaking. See, you know, when society places its emphasis on Christmas, it normally is emphasizing two days or a couple of days. It emphasizes Christmas, and by Christmas, it's emphasizing the family, isn't it? But the trouble is with Christmas... Christmas always leaves a certain section of our society feeling lonely, isolated, depressed, and forgotten. So he says, put the thing, you know, and the, uh, the adverts and all that is going on to think about family, I mean, for two days, and the rest of the year, forget them. So we just, at one time, I mean, thank God that there's some emphasis on the family. I don't know how long it will before that seems unpolitically correct, but... The issue is, is we're not emphasizing a two-day emphasis on the family. We're emphasizing, emphasizing 365, 24-7. It's, it's God's desire to build a nation from within. You must start on the ground, and that's you start with the families. That's how you rebuild a nation. Three Fs. You want to build a nation? Here they are. Ready? You build a nation through its faith. You build a nation through the family. Second F, you build a nation through its finance. Get the finances wrong of a nation, you're in trouble. If it loses its faith as a nation, it's in trouble. And it's no use having finance with no faith. 
These three are the trinity of any society. Every family, every household, every nation needs faith. It needs steady finances. Yeah? And it needs strong families. You get that in any nation, anywhere around the world, and you've got a strong nation. Now, when they do the Gallup poll of what makes a nation strong, they never talk about the family. They always talk about the economics and job prospects. True? Right now, the number one nation in the world, the best economy in the world, is New Zealand. Second would be Finland. Now, Finland's got the, uh, the, the, reckon the healthiest government. New Zealand's got the healthiest economy. But no one's talking about the family. Yeah? God's interested in all three. Is the family, when we say family, does the family have a faith? Does the family have good finances? Or finances where all these bills are paid for? It's not in debt. Now, I'm not talking about a mortgage. But has it got, does it handle its finances decent and in order? Has it got faith? And is the family strong? When God looks at your family, he's looking at those three areas, the three F's. Yes? Our job as a pastor, as the ministry team, is to help you get those three F's in order. Your faith, good. Your finances, in order. Well, pastor shouldn't talk about finances. Sorry. Welcome to a church with a difference. You shouldn't talk about, you know, finances. Yes, we should. We shouldn't talk. Well, we've got to talk about faith. We've got to talk about family. So that's, that's our mandate, to bring balance in those three areas. Now, I'm not going to turn around to you and say, show me your bank, your bank statement. That's not what we're talking about. You've got responsibility for that. I have no interest in what you've got in your bank. I'm more interested in what you've got in this bank. Amen? But I am interested whether you can handle that finance. Because that means if you can't handle physical things, you won't handle spiritual things. And that's a requirement of a leader, by the way. That he must rule his own household well. He must have a good reputation. He must have good, steady financial, in, uh, you know, finances. Yes, he must rule his household well. So that's good enough for me. It's good enough for us. I don't know if you saw this week. There was a lady who started something last year, and she got exposure this year. She thinks she's wrapped over 2,000 presents for her own kids. I'm not, hey, we'll, we'll don't, let's not rip her off. Hey, what I've got to say about her. 2,000 presents. Let's celebrate something, what she's done. Rather than attack the lady like society's done. She's paid for all those presents without a credit card. How many others can say that? People will look at the amount she's paid, and that is an issue. But she hasn't used a credit card. She's not in debt for them. She's paid for everyone herself. Is that not a good use of finance? Absolutely. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have gone into debt this year to buy the must-have toy. But she's done it without any debt whatsoever. So has she done a good thing? Because the majority of the country haven't done that. Or a good percentage of the country. Let me readjust that. However, it's a lot of presents. It's a lot of presents. Just think of the paper alone. 
However, what I would have, I see the opportunity here for her not only to bless the children, but to teach the children how to go and bless others. Those kids are going to get a good Christmas. But the opportunity is to teach the children how to give and to sow and bless others. That, all her money she spent on, on those presents doesn't add up to what that life lesson is. Now, on, on Friday night, it was a beautiful thing because I, I saw something in my granddaughter that, that uh, melted my heart. I got two lousy tickets and everyone else seemed to got a thousand tickets. So my chances of winning the lottery on Friday, on you know, the giveaway prize, was very minimal. Put it this way, your chances were better than mine. Phil says to me, he gives me a ticket because he saw my odds were pretty low. Right? It still didn't, that's called brotherhood. That's called covenant to the end. Didn't share his present, but he gave me his ticket. But we start somewhere with him. Right? Shirley comes up, she wins a bottle, and she, sister now comes up and she says, yeah, our kid, that's what I'm known as, our kid, you can have my bottle. No, okay, Shirley, it's white wine, I don't drink white wine. God's only in red. So I give us a bottle, she offered me her bottle. Was that sweet? So we've gone from a ticket to a bottle. But Harper, she has her present. She's crying because she wants to pull out the raffle and give everybody the prize. And I said to her, well, Granddad hasn't even got a present. She takes the biggest present on her table, which is hers, and she gives it to me. She says, Granddad, you cannot have a present. You cannot be without a present, basically. You can have mine. And I just thought, now... Why, now, why did that happen? Because only a couple of weeks ago, a mother had taught her to sew some of her toys. So the principle of her giving and sewing, I saw the fruit of it, which is good. This is coming from heathen parents. But the principle of sewing was a beautiful thing, and I see it inside her. Now, as she gets older, I think she, we might have to wrestle a bit. And, you know, maybe because she didn't see what was in the box, <laughs> she gave it me. But the point, the heart was behind it to give granddad the present. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing. It touched my heart just to see her do that. And there may have been tears if she found out what was in the box, but that's different. But remember last week when I spoke to you, we talked about raising this environment, this culture, this, this atmosphere for our children. It's so, so important that we raise an atmosphere for our children to feel, uh, to hear God, to feel God, to see God. And they see that through you. You're the door, you're the mirror that your children see God through. How many of you know that? We want our children to see the supernatural, hear the supernatural, and touch the supernatural. Who do they see it? They see it through you. They hear it through you, but they touch it through their relationship. With Christ. So we can cultivate a relationship in, in the hearts of our children, can't we? Right now, the angels are bowing down. Right now, the angels are proclaiming who he is. We sang this morning in our worship. We, that, is a, that is a line taken from Scripture. You know, when the shepherds came and they saw, they saw all the angels were worshipping, proclaiming the Son of God, Christ the King. Amen? So the angels were worshipping the risen King. Amen? They were worshipping. But I believe our children are well, well capable of seeing the angelic. 
There's something in the heart of children that is open to the supernatural world. Now, that is good and bad. So that's why you as the parent have to guide them and guard them and govern them in that area of the supernatural. Do you know that? So last week we saw how Hannah wanted to start this process off in her son. She longed for a son. The Lord answered a prayer. She takes the son to the temple to give him to Eli, for Eli to raise the son in the things of God. The son Samuel. Samuel became Israel's greatest prophet. Amen? So you don't know what's in your children. You don't know what's, but we've got the seed. We've got the seed. So if we can cultivate that seed, water that seed, who's to say our kids can't become anything? You know, there's no limitations, basically. What God has got prepared for us, God has to reveal it by his spirit. What God has got prepared for us, God has to reveal it by the spirit. So parents, you have to be in the spirit so that you can see what spiritual has been deposited into your children. You won't see it by the natural eye. Well, you will to some degree, but you, may have, you might take you years to see that. But God has to reveal to us what God has prepared for us and what God has put in our children. God has to show us. And then we become, we become the, the guardians of the gift that what God has put inside. Is that not right? Then we spoke about Samuel, uh, young Samuel, David and Lisa's young boy. How Samuel, that process has been started in, in there, in David's uh, young lad. And, uh, and then he came to me with a prophetic word, and I shared that prophetic word with you. Because I thought it was sweet and powerful that the boy is already hearing God. And he had a fresh experience in, in how he heard God. So he got blessed and I got blessed. And there is, there is a depth to that word that he gave me that I still haven't yet fathomed. But it's causing me enough to have to say, God, show me what you've shown that young boy. Because you've shown him something. So what God was saying to me is, Tony, you're in one room, you're in one level, one depth of relationship with me, but it's time for you to come closer. And I want that. That's where the portal is. That's where the portal is. So I've got to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so much you. I want to do that as a pastor, but I want to do that as a parent. I never stop leading my kids. Never stop leading my kids. Why? Because they're always my children. Yes, I know they have responsibility. Yes, I know the men and women in their own rights. They'll make choices. But dad's always dad. I'm never not going to be dad. Amen? I'm not pastor Tony to my children. I am dad. And I like that. I like that. Ben calls me pops. Laura calls me Papa John. And Scott just calls me dad. I've got three names and I just answer to them all. But I love the fact that they can, the greatest word anyone can ever call you is just dad. It's a great, great privilege to be called dad. It really is. So we spoke about some. We spoke about Eli. And Eli, in order to, on this route to be, sorry, Samuel, on Samuel's journey to become Israel's greatest prophet, there was a day when he couldn't hear God. Can you imagine a prophet, a day, never when he couldn't hear God? Yeah. And for you, that might be called today. That's, that might be where you are, but that's not where you, could, that's not where you have to stay. You can move on. You can become Israel's greatest prophet, metaphorically speaking. You can become your work environment's greatest voice. You can be your family's greatest hero. You can be anything that God has prepared you to be. 
but you must discover it, but you must be able to hear God first. Amen? And then we looked at Cornelius, how Cornelius raised a family. They were God-fearing. But it were a family who had angelic encounters. And lastly, we looked at Timothy, how Timothy had come from a lineage grandmother, Eunice. Mother, Lois. Now it came to Timothy. And what do we see with Timothy? We saw our grandma had imparted into her daughter. Her daughter had then passed it forward, and now it's into Timothy. So Timothy's got a two-tier anointing running through. But now it takes a father to come and take him, spiritual father, to take him on a journey that you could not raise him for. Because there is your responsibility, and there is another responsibility. Yes? And sometimes the hardest thing... Listen to me now. The hardest thing for you to do is to trust God in the hands of the leaders. The hardest thing for you to do and I to do at times is to trust your children to God through the lives of the leaders. So if I said to, some, if I said to, to David, for instance, now David may have made, it or made this journey, but it's just a, I'm just illustrating it. I just said, I say, David, your son's going to be on the mission field. I feel your son's going to be a missionary. Lisa could potentially, don't take my boy away. Don't take my boy away. Potentially. And then they could think, you know, well, we're going to lose our son. We might not see him. He might be going to the back ends of nowhere. It's dangerous there. He might be going to Aleppo. It's dangerous there. And then they don't encourage their son to go down that line. Why? Because of how it makes them feel. Do you see what I'm saying? You as parents can actually put the lid on what God wants to do with your children. Yes, it's true. And God will call your children when they're very young. He'll put the seed in. And they'll always feel a certain way. You know, when it comes to sexualization, people say, I felt this way for a long time. To a point where I could not deny my true self. How many of you heard that? When God speaks, you can resist for a while, but there'll come a point when you can no longer deny. But parents can make it hard. Parents can make it hard. Why? Because many parents have not heard what the children are hearing. And many parents are not praying for their children in the spirit realm, and because if not in the spirit realm, they cannot hear or see or perceive what God has put in the hearts of the children. So they actually become a hindrance to it. And they trample the seed underground. Oy. Parents, be very, very careful. And what we do as parents is we tend then to see university as our great hope. Come on. University will sort out everything for our kid. It will give them the future they want. Now, we're not saying university is a bad thing. We're not saying that at all. So what you hear and what I'm saying may be two different things. So I'll say it again. University is not a bad thing. But if you had an idea where God was doing in your children, then you could steer your children in university maybe a little bit differently. Come on. University will not give your children a career. 
It will educate them, but it doesn't give them a career. Their hard work is what gets them a career. Because many kids are just playing at university. Why do you think they want to go into Hall of Residence? Come on. They don't want to, well, mother and father, I feel like this would be a better environment for me to study. You're damn right it might be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What kind of study? They want to have some life. But the trouble is, it can be the greatest place to study, but the worst place to be distracted. Can't it? So we must be, we must be mindful of what God wants with our children. We can put them in a career, and that career can literally take your children away from you. Oh, yeah. And now they can't worship the Lord. Now they can't serve the Lord. Why? Because, Dad, if I don't go to work, they're going to take my job away from me. And now Pharaoh runs your children's life. So the career that you're sowing them into now puts them in shackles. Oh, but now they're educated. So we've got to be very careful how our kids... In the, we never stop being dad and mum. That's why we must always keep speaking into the lives of our children. I'm constantly speaking to Scott. When he came back, Scott, I said, Scott, you've been two years. I said, and the good people of this house invested in you so your life could change. Don't you come back and do the same things and let the same restraints be put back on your hands. When you're going for a job, you think wisely. God, what do you want? Do not sell your soul for your job. You must make sure that you've got freedom to serve God in that structure. Never mind what they promise you. You must know, God, is this the right thing for me? Is this the right place? You've got to know. So I'm always going on about it to him. I say, Scott, God didn't take you to Australia so you could come back and play drums. That's one blessing. But that's not all God saved him for, is it? Can't be. So we've got to put our kids in the right environment so that our kids can become the next generation serving God and carry the baton on. Amen? Don't, let you, don't sell your kids into slavery. Though they'll get well paid for it, don't sell them into slavery. So Genesis chapter 37. And a young man at 17 years of age had a dream. But he was rather foolish about his dream. He had another dream. He told it to his brothers, listen, he said, we're talking about Joseph now. I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the stars, excuse me, <laughs> burped, 11 stars, were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Now, he's a 17-year-old boy, which how many of you know 17 is still young? And he's had a dream. In fact, he's had a few dreams. And he's had a technical dream. And he's seeing that his brothers and his father and his whole family are going to bow down. But how many of you know from a dream to the reality of it, there's a process. Now listen, guys, you are involved in that process. As a parent, you are involved in that process. So God's put, a, God's put a dream in the hearts of your children. Why do we think there's only us what carry dreams? 
Our young children can carry a dream. It's in seed form. They don't understand it, so they can't articulate it. But it's there. Yes? It's there. So there's a process that we have to nurture. And listen to Joseph's process here. First of all, his brothers plot to kill him. It's not good when your own brothers try to kill your, their, their own brother. Yeah? And they sell him into slavery for 20 shekels. Then Joseph's taken into slavery, into Egypt, and he serves in Potiphar's house. Because Potiphar now is one of Pharaoh's officials. And soon as he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar begins to see the Spirit of God on him. Hello? Potiphar sees what's on, on this boy's life. His own father didn't see it, but he sees it. And it says, as soon as Joseph enters into the Potiphar's environment, the environment begins to prosper. There are some environments that will always prosper because of the seed you carry. Hello? It's not your magnetic charm. It's not your personality, though that might get us so far, but there's a seed that people recognize and they realize that we're better with you than without you. How many of you, how many of you know that? So Joseph was a handsome man, a bit like many of you. But Potiphar's wife took a fancy to him. And handsome men are always in the line of fire for women, just like the reversal. So she waits for her opportunity when Potiphar's not there and she tries to seduce him. Now, test, it's a good test to see when the cat's away whether the mice will play. But Joseph girds up his loins and runs. She doesn't like the fact that she's been refused, so now she makes a lie. He's raped me, he's trying to come on to me, he's trying to seduce me. So that gets Joseph, poor Joseph, in further trouble. And all he's doing here is he's had a dream. He's had a dream. Many of you feel like you're in a nightmare, but you've got a dream. And it's hard for you to see, because you, you think this dream is supposed to make you feel wonderful. But it's not. It's en route to the dream. You're part of the process. It's how you come out of the darkness. It's how you come out of that accusation. It's how you come out of that slavery will determine whether the dream can come to fruition. Yes? So what happens is he then gets put in prison. And when he is in prison, he meets a cupbearer and a baker. And they're in slavery. They've really ticked off Pharaoh. That's why they're in prison. And they begin to tell Joseph their dream. And Joseph then begins to interpret the dream and tells them that in three days, you know, the guy's got, a, the cupbearer has a dream of, he's got, he sees clusters of grapes and he sees the cup. And Pharaoh, uh, sorry, and Joseph says to him, in three days' time, you'll, you'll lift the cup up to Pharaoh's hand and in three days you'll be set free. The baker is, oh, that's good. Speak to me then. What's my prophecy? In three days, he's going to have your head off. First chance, second chance, he gets to speak what's inside his heart. Whatever Joseph speaks, he's in trouble. His brother's put him in prison. Now he speaks the second time, and, he's, and the, the baker's going to lose his head. He's like, Joseph, shh, 
Is there another way you can tell us what's inside your heart without it being bad news? That's why when you're a mouth on roller skates, it's not all nice. Sometimes you have to say things that are not nice, but they still have to be said. So he gets out, and then Pharaoh himself has a dream. So then they remember that there's this boy called Joseph who can interpret dreams. So now he's got to go to the king. So let's think, your brother's trying to, you're here because of your brother's. You've got, so far, you've not got a good ratio. You've had the baker. You prophesied to the baker. You better choose wisely what you're going to say before the Pharaoh. But Joseph, being Joseph, tells him, interprets him, interprets the king, and eventually he's made second in command of all Egypt. And guess what? His initial dream gets fulfilled. His family come down and bow to him. All that was in seed form, but there was a process. Now, are you prepared to water, nurture, and walk with your children through that process? Because you have a dream. Come on. Are you prepared to go and discover what God's put in their heart? Have you sat down and talked to them? What has God put in your heart? Do you know that? Are you so busy telling your kids what they should be doing and where they should be going that you've not listened to what God is doing in the background. As parents, we want our children to have a good career, a good education. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we don't listen to what God's doing behind and we put the other stuff as priority. Come on, be honest. Be honest. When was the last time you sat down with your children and said, is there any, hello, hello, is there any God in there? And if there isn't, that opportunity to sit down with your children and find out, it gives you an opportunity to put your finger on the pulse. It gives you an opportunity. I took my son by surprise the other day. I walked into the kitchen. Totally out of the blue. I walked into the kitchen. And we're talking about something. And then I just flipped the conversation. I said, okay, Scott, that one's finished now. Let's just put a pin in that one. What is God saying to you? He went, flipping it, Dad. Where did that come from? I said, son, that was always in my heart to ask you that. I said, I want to know, what is God saying to you? And we had a good half an hour man-to-man conversation, something that I could never have had had he not made his journey. Yeah? And I sat down with him, and we're having dad-to-son time, and he's just talking to me about what's in his heart, what God's been saying to him. Great. I know what to pray for. Mission completed. Wasn't, it wasn't a time to, for me to say anything. It was a time for me to listen what's going on in his heart. And if the opportunity came for me to respond, then I responded. But if not, my... So sometimes when your kids are not <laughs> expecting it, just say, hey, how's, your, how's things going with you and God? What's he saying to you right now? Now be prepared like Eli. Be prepared like the baker for your kids to say things you might not want to hear. Come on. It's gone very quiet in Elfville in this Catholic church. It's gone very quiet. The men of Issachar knew the times, and they knew what to do within the season. So what season is it in your children's life? Now, we know we can identify clear seasons because we know that when they come from primary school into secondary school, it's a clear season. 
This year, we've had Jake and we've had Sam. and we, Is it Heather? We know that these guys have had a, a definite transition going from, we call it big school, didn't we? When we were young, they're going to big school now. That's when you, big school means when you have a blazer too long and you've got three years to grow into it. That's what it means. You buy a big jacket, it'll last you for five years. So we know that's a transition that we can physically see, but spiritually and emotionally and psychologically, we've got to be behind the scenes to help them. Are they fearing going to school? What, what is it they don't understand? What's getting messed up psychologically? What fears are they facing? We've got to spend time, find ways to find that and extract that information because our kids don't want to volunteer information. Yeah, they'll say it on Facebook, they'll say it all over social media, but they don't say it to mum and dad. So mum and dad's got to get wiser of how to find and extract information without breaking the fingers and ripping the, the nails out. So it might be, do, might be asking them at the moment when they've got fun. Finding the moment to ask. Yeah? When they're, not, when they're not guarding themselves, then you can just go in, extract the information. It might be a two-minute clear window, but at least you found out something. Then you go back in to pray, and you ask for another window. That's how our kids operate like that. True? It's true. So let me give you something. What will determine to run through your, sorry, what will you determine? Let me say something now here. When the men of Issachar received this gift, I've said this to you before over the last couple of weeks, this gift upon their life, irrespective of time and generation, this gift ran all the way through that lineage that these men always knew the times and always knew what to do in the times. It was a gift that ran through the whole gene of Issachar. So, what will you determine to run through your lineage? What is it you want to run through your lineage? If you could actually write this down, think about this. Lord, what is the one thing I want to see run through my entire lineage? Can I shock you? I'm not even asking for salvation. Because I see so many people get saved and die. Spiritually. I'm talking, for me, what I want to see through my lineage, I want my children to pick up the heartbeat of the father, that father. But I have to be the model on the earth. So I want the kids to see my life and mum's life as a mirror of heavens. Yes? So that they'll, see, they'll so see God working in me that it becomes so attractive to them. Amen? I don't want my kids just to get saved and come to church and sit on the blessed assurance. I want my kids to serve the purposes of God for their generation. So value, why don't you sit down with your children and ask them, do you have a dream? And value their dream. Don't kick it out of them. Because they may not have the language to articulate what it really means. Joseph didn't. Joseph did not know. He did not see Egypt. He just saw his, his family bowing down to him. 
right? So they might say, well, I see, I see myself, and again, I'm going to get manly here, fleshly. They might see myself as a Formula One driver. Well, that's not glorifying God. Don't see the end result. You must see the process. You must see how God can handle that and use that and harness that. You just don't know. Don't just see the brothers bowing down. See the bigger picture. Ask God to show you what he's put inside them. But you must value their dream. Don't knock it out of them. They say, what do you mean? Years ago, it was our father's expectation that the son would follow in the father's career. Yes? Until one day, a son says, Dad, that might have been fine for you, but I have a bigger dream. Father say, what do you mean? And he squash it down. What do you mean? Are you trying to say that I've not done? And then he all of a sudden turns it negatively and defensively. Are you trying to say you're better than us? No, Dad, I'm just trying to say, I see my life beyond more than what you and Dad, you and Mum have done. Now, some fathers, that might make some fathers very insecure. But what's Johnny doing? He's being honest. He's using the language he's got. It's all he's got. But there's a dream inside him. He's got a vision to save up money to buy his own house. My father only ever rented one. I remember when Andy was getting married to Shirley. And, all, and my dad only ever rented a house. And Andy says, oh, yeah, we're going to buy a house. My, my father thought that Andy had ideas above his station. I remember him discussing it in front of me, to, in front of my grandmother as well. That lad's got ideas above his station. No, he's just got a picture of how to get out the hole. That's all he did. He said, I wanted to buy my own house. What's wrong with renting? Because I'm going to buy one. And I remember that was the issue that Andy came under. And he bought his own house. Now, go and ask his kids, are they happy? Of course they are. Why? Because now they've got an inheritance. Andy saw something, may not have had the language for it, but buying his house has created an inheritance for his kids. And, and me, unfortunately, I'm going to be in there somewhere. I'm coming in through Shirley's side. I'm having your portion, Tom. How many of you know kids dream all day long? I was dreaming when I was in school. I was dreaming of getting out of the class. <laughs> I was dreaming of playing football, chasing girls, or anything. I had a dream not to listen to this fella keep yapping on every day, but I had a dream. I didn't know where it would lead me, how it would lead me, but I had a dream. But you know, I never had a mother and father who asked me. Never had a mother and father who asked me. It's not their fault. It's just not, that was not part of where they were. But your kids have a dream. Sit down. Make it your priority this festive season to sit down and ask them what's God put in the heart. Write down whatever it is, how crazy it sounds, how immature it sounds, how nonsensical it sounds. Don't knock it out of them. Write it down and begin to pray into it. And ask God to give you the clarity that they may not have. So that you can steer, guide and govern your children in the things of God. Does that sound good? Absolutely it sounds good. Next thing. Pray for your children to receive dreams. Pray for your children to receive dreams. It doesn't matter how old they are. They may have gone, they may be 35 now. It doesn't matter. You, you're 45, aren't you? Sorry. 45, doesn't matter. God 
can give you a dream. I'm not talking about going to sleep now and just waking up. I just, I, I dreamt of fairies. Forget fairies. There ain't no fairies. I'm talking to something that can causes you to wake up with hope and direction and purpose in life. It says of David that when he finished the purposes of God, in other words, when he fulfilled the dream, he then went, don't die early. Die fulfilled. Die fulfilled. You know, many parents have the dream that one day their kids will serve God and the parents die, but the dream's still alive. The prayer was in heaven. God heard the prayer. He watered the prayer. She watered the prayer. And now the kids step into the next phase. Why? Because had the parents not prayed, the kids could not have stepped into the dream. It's a beautiful thing. Your kids need dreams. Pray for your children to receive dreams. You know what you're doing by asking them that? You ready for this? You're actually teaching them to cultivate the voice of God. You're actually teaching them to cultivate the voice of God on the inside. Amen? When they start talking to you about what's inside, you must then help them to see, that sounds like God, son. That sounds like God, darling. Help them. They may not see it as God's dream. But that's why you ask them what's inside their hearts. What do they see for the future? Yes, they may not see it as God, but if you can help them to see it as God, you can then help them to cultivate. That's how God speaks. This makes sense. Many of our kids went off the path because we weren't on the path. Dream, dreams are a spiritual language. Dreams are a spiritual language. Don't worry, if we don't have time to finish this, I'll pick this up in the new year. Dreams are a spiritual language that God speaks. Why? Because, listen, when God spoke to Pharaoh, Pharaoh had a full-on dream. He had a full-on dream that God was speaking, but because he didn't know how to interpret and didn't know the voice or the language of the Spirit, he couldn't answer it. But Joseph had the language, he had the coding for discerning, for deciphering, that means this, that means that. He heard it, and as he heard it, he could see. Yes? As he heard, he could see. That's how I, I, I work like that. When people say things from the ear, and I see. That's what they call seers. There are seers and there are seers. Seers are prophets, but there are also a seers in the spirit. They can see in the spirit realm. When, you, when God says something, they see it. Yeah? So they seers and they seers. It's confusing, I know, but... As I'm speaking to you, you see things. That's a seer. But the prophets were all called seers. In other words, they heard the voice of God and they spoke the voice of God. Yes? But there are things that you say, ah, now I see what you're saying. That's a seer. Does that make sense now? Confusion over. Wonderful. I don't need to go into Christmas holiday confused. Number three. Expect your children to hear from God. Why not? 
Why not? I expect your children. See, this is where it's so easy to dismiss your children when you don't expect them to hear from God. I'm expecting Harper and Ella to say some profound things. I am. Because I know in, in their profound uniqueness, they'll say it to their own mother and father. She just says it like it is, Harper. She's no restraints on that one. I love the kid. Ella will think she's a little more graceful. She'll think about certain things. She thinks, mm, might not. Harper, straight in there. Boom. So I'm just thinking, Lord, let her be kind to me if she prophesies. <laughs> if she says, I've had a dream about a baker and a cupbearer, we've got it down to 50, 50 chances, don't we? She might say to me, do you want to ring a friend? No, he only gives me lottery tickets. You see, by expecting your children to hear God and teaching them that, do you know what you're putting into them? Here's a key word. You're building into them anticipation. Why do we ask our children to pray and not expect God to speak to them? Why do we just teach our children, close your eyes now, let's just pray a little word to Jesus. Why don't we teach him to hang on a minute when you're praying, let's just hold on a fire, let's see what God's saying. Are you sensing anything? You hearing anything? Did you see anything? Did you feel anything? Why not just teach our children there's an anticipation that should come from prayer? What is the point of having a relationship if this God doesn't speak back? You know, your kids are going to be bored, senseless, if they can't hear God. There ain't no fun in talking to someone who doesn't talk back. You might as well have a Buddha. At least he smiles. What is the point of having a relationship with a God that does not speak back? And this is the problem that many parents have with their children. They do not teach their children how to hear God and have no expectation. It's just prayer, leave it with God, we'll walk away. No, God wants to dialogue with us. How many of you know that? When Jacob was in his, his rebellious stage and he was running away after cheating his father and his brother, certainly his brother out of his firstborn right, he runs and then he has an encounter with God. As we know in Genesis chapter 28, he sees a stairway and he sees angels ascending and descending and he gets the full technicolor dream, doesn't he? He hears God, he sees God, he senses God to the point that when he wakes up the next day, he says, surely God was in this place, but I didn't know it. That's what we've got to reverse in our homes. That God's in our place, but he should not be said, but we didn't know it. The stairway inside the home must be constantly, have no obstacles in it, so that heaven can pass down, and we can go up. Now listen, when God gave Jacob that vision, he was using language that he knew Jacob could identify with. So when you close your eyes, you're expecting Jacob's dream. It's called Jacob's dream, not yours. Hello? It's called Jacob's dream. You may not have that vision like that. You may not have that dream like that where you see angels coming down and, and you're going up and it's, it's wonderful. Hollywood wants that so we can commercialize it. But that was Jacob's dream 
for Jacob. And that's how God knew how to put the language of the Spirit into Jacob in such a way that Jacob could comprehend and respond. Amen? Your kid may have a dream about football. It may be about chasing rainbows. It might mean nothing to you, but God knows the language of the Spirit to get your kid's attention. He knows the software that operates inside of your children. He does. When, when you see me standing here building in the Spirit, and it might seem seamless to you, believe me, it's not. Like the swan on the water. I look graceful on the top, but the legs are paddling underneath, saying, look, Lord, what next, Lord? What next, Lord? What next, Lord? What next? But all I get is literally two or three seconds, God shows me a picture in two or three seconds, and straight away, he just unzips. But I've learned that's how God speaks to me. That's how I know when God shows me things, my language is far longer than the image I saw. God knows how to get my attention. God knows how to get your children's attention. Is this making sense? Is this helping you? Good. Last one. It's not the last, but it's the last one for today. Teach your children how to pray for the sick and teach them how to prophesy at home. Now, here's the problem, because many parents don't know how to prophesy. So, obviously, you can't teach your children to prophesy if you've never prophesied. But prophecy is a lot easier than you think. It's not as hard as it sounds, but it's a lot easier than you think. There are two ways you can prophesy. By the Spirit and by the, by the intent and the mind of the Spirit. So let me give you a demonstration. If I am going to prophesy over Phil, I need to hear the voice of God or see something in the Spirit that then causes me to speak out what I'm hearing and seeing. Right? I must prophesy by the Spirit. Is that not true? Is that true? Right. So that's, I'm prophesying what I don't know, I've never seen before, and it's, it's coming from the other side, heaven, through the Holy Spirit, into my spirit, so I can tell him what God's saying, and then he must have a witness in his spirit. Right. So we all understand that's called prophecy. That's called Corinthians. Then let me give you another illustration. Now I give you, where's it gone? The Bible. I now begin to speak. Let's just use this declaration. Now, I know this is true because this is God's heart. So in this piece of paper I've got, the year 2017, it's the year of the Father's decree, the year of the Son's dominion, the year of the Spirit's demonstration. Now, prophetically, I know that's true. Right, so God has said it. So now I can put my weight behind that because I know what he's already said. Right, that's called prophesying with the intent of the Spirit. You know that's God's intent. So I get behind it and I sow that into the atmosphere. But there are times then when I jump over this side and God now speaks to me by the Spirit to prophesy. And there are times when I get behind this word 
and I read what it says, and I declare it in prayer, because that's what God has already said, so I'm getting behind his intent. Does that make sense? And then the times when I have to step into the spirit, and then God will give me something to speak for that specific moment. Right, so why don't you learn to do the second first? Get behind what God has already said and what God is saying. Okay? And as you get behind that and begin to pray, you will find you will step into the next one. You will sense things and feel things just like your children, but you may not know it's prophecy until you speak to somebody else. And just like a little child, you have to let them teach you what you didn't know. That's how we all start. Irrespective of how old you are, Yes? Because there comes a day like Samuel when we don't know how to quite hear God or we don't know how to say it was God. We heard, but we didn't know it was him. Does that make sense? So every family should get behind what's already been said. What is being said here, what is being, what's already been said, get behind that in prayer and declare that over your children and then there'll be times when God will speak to you and you'll, you'll feel deeply inside can't get this out of my mind. It feels strong upon me. I can't shake this off. Aha. Write it down. Do you remember? It was Kevin's uh, auntie, Jean. Uh, Jenny's uh, sister, she's sister-in-law, sister-in-law. She came to our communication course. And she was very young in the faith. And she didn't know how God spoke to her. She wasn't versed in how God speaks. And she wrote this prophecy down. She didn't know it was prophecy. She wrote it down. It was like an angel had come down and wrote one of the letters to the churches. It was detailed. It was colorful. It was graphic. It had detail. It was beautiful. And I said to her, and that's your first prophecy. She said, I didn't know it was a prophecy. I just felt these things, so I just began to write them down. Then she put it and she gave it to me. I said, that's called prophecy. <gasps> wow. But unfortunately, she didn't do anything with it. But there was a seed. The gift was there. The gift was there. Like, I've not seen it anywhere else. No, if she could have just cultivated, if, if she would have just allowed us to cultivate that inside of her, she could have been a prophetess. Who knows? She was only a Christian five minutes. doesn't matter. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you get the full shebang. But it all comes in seed form. Somebody has to help you discover what God's put inside of you. You'll never discover it on your own. That's why God's put you in a family, a church family. It's called the body. So, in closing, there's a, I've got another five things here for your kids, but you're not having them today. We just don't have time for them. So let me close with this scripture. In Mark 11, you don't have to go to it. I just wanted to make reference to it. In Mark 11, you see Peter has been put in prison. And the household is praying for Peter's release. Acts, sorry, sorry, Acts 11. And they're praying for Peter's release. And they don't believe when Peter comes knocking at the door and the angels turn up to Peter and releases Peter, Rhoda opens the door and she goes, oh, who's at the door? They're all praying. Who's at the door? Oh, it's Peter. And shuts the door again. It's cool, isn't it? It's cool. It's cool. But then they make this statement. 
Ready for this? Maybe it's his angel. Maybe it's Peter's angel. There are angelic forces on our children, representing our children, guiding our children. I'll show you this in the other five points. 2017, coming attraction, you've got to be here. Don't miss it. That when we pray for our children, you get expect angelic, invita- uh, in angelic activation upon the lives of your children. When you step into the upper room, the throne room, for your children, and pray your kids through, expect to see the angels move on behalf of your children. Peter wasn't a child. Peter was a man. But they said, perhaps it's his angel. We all have guardian angels. Right? Now you can say, well, Lord, show me mine. Why? I don't need to see him. He just needs to watch me. He needs to follow me. My job is not tracking him down. His job is to follow me. Now, if God shows me, wonderful. All I'm saying is, I know when my boy was in his accident and should have died, to this day, I know God's angel turned my ladder around when he should have been dead. Without a shadow of a doubt. Ben's never, Ben's never thought of an angel. The only angel he's ever seen is the one he married. But Ben's never thought about it. But I know to this day, God Almighty stepped in, turned what should have been death, disaster, and he put him on his feet. And you know what? I'm still praying God put him on his feet now. Turn him around again, Lord, and put him on his feet. Now, dropping him on his head wouldn't have been good for him. Right? But my boy needs a waking. He needs a shaking. And I'm just praying that, Lord, intervene in Ben's life. Do what it needs to do to shake him, to wake him, to bring him back into his purpose. Because that angel intervened that day. Why? Because of the seed that was already there. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, if we will. I want us to really go after our kids. And I want you to go after your kids in the supernatural. I want you to see things. And really, this year is going to be a a, a serious, serious encounter this year. God is going to seriously invade invade the family. And there's going to be supernatural, I mean serious supernatural manifestations in the house. There's going to be serious super manifestations in the house. Your children are going to show you things and talk to you in a dimension that you've never heard them speak before. Why? Because you're going to be the first to cross them over. You're going to show them where the portal of heaven is. You're going to show them the stairway. You're going to show them that it's possible, son, honey, that you can ascend into heaven and descend. It's a a very livable, doable realm. Your kids can step in and step out. It's that simple. Really, pastor? I said it's that simple. So, Father, right now, we declare... The year of the Father's decree. We declare the year of the Son's dominion, His power and authority over the lives of our children. We declare that this will be the year of the the Spirit's demonstration over the lives of our children. 
Father, this year, our children are going to see the supernatural hand of God move upon their lives. We're going to see children repositioned. We're going to see children come back home. Father, we're going to see them with uh, healings and miracles coming upon our children's lives. We're going to see our children become uh, raised up to engineered for success. But we're going to see the character of God upon their lives to hold them in position. Father, I thank you already for what is about to take place in the lives of the families in this house. I thank you, oh God, that the Dream Center, oh God, is the very thing it's going to be. It's going to become a center where God's dreams are planted into the lives of people. A place, oh God, where, they, where it becomes a church with a difference. The portal will be opened over every family. Every family can step in and step out. Every family will hear God. Every family will see the manifestation of the Spirit. Every family will, will uh, enter into the realm and the authority and the dominion of Jesus Christ. This will be the year of revelation for every family. A year of the Spirit's demonstration. And a greater, greater revealing of the Father's decree will come to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a stand ovation. And with that, I wish you a merry, merry Christmas.